following program is paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4. Every weekday, News Radio 1240 KQEN brings you local information at 4 o'clock. Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, I'm, I'm it's, laughing. It's, it's not Flubber. The, yeah. It's Flubber November. I'm renaming okay. it Flubber November because we have had three weeks in a row now. Of technical <laughs> difficulties. Little hiccups here and there. <laughs> and, uh, hey, Mike, not, how is it? <laughs> I love, you know, hey, you know what? Mike does great landscape work. So, I, you know, the commissioner of dirt's fantastic, but it is our turn today. Welcome to the True Well Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn, in studio with me. <laughs> Katie Shuck. Uh, are you the, the commissioner of finance? Well, I guess that's actually a title or something. That isn't sounds, it? That sounds too real. Yeah, too real. The like the commissioner of dirt's dirt, kind of making fun uh, of it. Okay. And, and I said, yeah, you get, no, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. we'll just be, we're just those those lovable pair that's on the radio on Tuesdays talking about your money with you. There you go. Right? I like so, it. There we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and we've got uh, a number of things to talk about today. This is a fun one. Uh, you guys have probably heard about this before, but I want to talk about how it is applicable in the investment landscape, but also just how it's applicable in life. This is the Pareto principle. Pareto. It's, it right? sounds like what you order on a pasta. Oh, no, that's Alfredo. Correct. Just and, kidding. <laughs> uh, so this one's lower calorie, maybe. <laughs> maybe, right. The Pareto <laughs> it, principle. It. You may have heard of it called... The 80-20 rule. The 80-20 rule. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yep. Uh, there's also a couple of very important dates that I want to throw out there because we're right in the middle of it. Okay. Oh, okay. We're in the middle of open enrollment. For? So two things, right? Open enrollment is an insurance reference. It is, yes. Okay. For health insurance, specifically. Well, health insurance. And, of course, health insurance, there are two major camps, right? Okay. There's Medicare and not Medicare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Medicare and the other guys. Yeah, All of Medicare you other people that are not Medicare. <laughs> Right. So uh, some key dates for open enrollment. Here's the trick. Medicare ends sooner. Okay. okay? Uh, and, and why open enrollment? Because if you're going to make any changes, you've got your Medicare Part A and B, but then you've got your supplements that you can uh, stack on to get additional coverage with Medicare. Right. And these are structured plans. They're all like the benefit features are, are sort of the same across the board, depending on which plan you get. But the Medicare cutoff for open enrollment is December 7th. Oh. And right? a date that will live in infamy. That's coming. Right. Two so weeks. It's, it's on the heels. And then for the individual marketplace, if you're in, if you're buying insurance on the exchange, right, then you've got open enrollment until December 15th. Now, when did, I mean, was it with Obamacare that we changed to like open enrollment and closed enrollment, or has it always been that way? Because no, I don't it, remember having that when I was signing up for health insurance when I was younger. Yeah, it wasn't like that before. But health insurance, one of the things about the exchange, remember, is that you there's no there are tax deductions or something now. Well, there's tied a couple it? things. It's not just the tax status. I believe it it was originally part of the idea for pre-existing conditions, right? There's no longer pre-existing conditions provided that you enroll during open enrollment. Oh, but after open enrollment, 
uh, at least until the following year of open enrollment again, I'm not certain that there's not. So because we don't market health insurance, I usually bring an expert in. Uh, I did not have a chance. So we, we had somebody else that was on the calendar, and then they very last minute uh, missed out. Uh, or you know, they, they couldn't we just make got it. Our, we got our lines crossed. Well, so. no, we just they, they couldn't make it. You know, yeah. They're out of town. We were going to talk a little bit about some interesting elements of real estate and income generation and so forth. And we'll get a chance to get them on the show later. But I do want everybody listening to realize there are plenty of resources out there. Uh, I, don't, I can't make a specific recommendation, but uh, I was going to have a guest on the program. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give them a quick shout out. Because if you're trying to make important health care decisions particularly in the Medicare arena, which can get sort of complicated and you may want to optimize depending on your unique circumstance, right? right? So if you happen to have a lot of prescriptions or something where you may be a higher utilizer in some categories of healthcare than others, these guys are very competent at helping you identify which plan may get you the most mileage for your dollar. Right. Okay. Which is important, right? right? Like, why are you paying for things you don't need or right. not getting enough of what you do? Right. And so there's a number of them out there, but I, I did say we have a radio show and we can do this. So I get uh, unpaid promotion. Ha ha. Right. So there's nothing in it for me to do this other than helping uh, you, the listener. Right. I, I like these folks. So I'm going to mention their name on air and give you some contact information. You've got uh, S- Sydney Senior Services, Jim and Sydney. And uh, I. I uh, happen to be buddies with Jim Daniel, right? Dan- is it Daniel or Daniels? Daniel. No plural, actually. No. I mean, if there's more than one of him, then I suppose you've been drinking too much. Ah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> well, it's the Daniels, right? right? Jim and Sydney Daniels. Uh, so right. I actually don't know if it's, a, I assume it's the same last name, but I actually don't know. Oh, that's true. But but nevertheless, Sydney Senior Services, uh, Jim is the one I have uh, done uh, some. And he's We've been had a him guest on the, on the radio. Show. Yeah, he's been a guest he's here. He's got a great like announcer voice. He's, too. A, he's kind of a big teddy bear. Oh, he's like, yeah. I just want to give him a squeeze every time I see him. I know. Super friendly guy. Very knowledgeable about Medicare. So if you are looking for help there, you can reach him. I'm going to throw out the phone number for you. So it's area code 541. And it's 671-5341. And they're also on Facebook. So if you want to go on Facebook, they've got some contact information there. Uh, look up Sydney Senior Services. Sydney, S-I-D-N-E-Y, apostrophe ah, S. Not spelled the normal way. Right? Not like an S-Y. So Sydney... Uh, and and anyway, I, I would encourage you. Uh, there are plenty of other folks in the marketplace that can help. There are a lot of uh, great insurance folks. So I'm not trying to slight anybody. I just uh, they just kind of focus on Medicare. That, like that's, that's really kind of their, their specialty. Uh, and my experiences have been positive. Again, I, I can't make it like a. It's not advice. And just it's so not we're per- clear. And that's it's not my a disclaimer. personal experience because. David's yeah, not, not there yet. <laughs> He's not there uh, yet. I'm but, not there yet. But the feedback I've gotten is that they're very thorough. They understand what they're doing and that they're they're kind and they're nice to work with. Now, I would say this is important because it's how your it's you know how your money's touched, especially if it's if you're over is it 60 for Medicare? What age 65. is Medicare? 65. 65. So if you're over 65 and you're paying for Medicare, I mean that's well, if you're approaching 65, you're 64 and a half, and you're starting to like line this thing up, and you could see the end of the runway. Uh, not a bad time to reach Seek out information. And, and we we partner with folks a lot and we work and coordinate with other folks that are specialists in these Their areas. Field, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I could go out and do all of the homework. You know, as a as a CFP, I know the pages to turn and where to go find the point of reference to get all that information. But uh, our sweet spot is 
find somebody that does this all the time. Right, and stays up to date on all the right? laws and, that's what and the they rules do all the and time. the regulations. And so uh, we don't try to reinvent the wheel. We just try to instead make sure that... Uh, you we know, just it, attach more wheels. Day. We're like a dually. Yeah. <laughs> we just add more wheels to our car. Right, and for, for other insurance professionals out there that, uh, you know, give us a call sometime, we are always trying to figure out who's available and what their specialties are in town. Uh, so we'll, you know, we'll play fair that way. But I will say I've had very good experiences with Jim. So, uh, moving on. The next is, you know, what are we, so this, this concept of the Pareto principle that I want to talk about today. Why is this such a big deal? And why, why would we bring this up on a show about your money? Because we're going to tell you how it applies to your money. Yeah, it, well, it applies all over the place. Well, it does. That's but I the mean, crazy thing. Yeah. No, it does. It, well, your time is also worth money, right? We yeah. talk about your time being a value. Um, and, you know, money flows through your life. So it does. It kind of does touch a little bit of everything. So uh, first, let's talk about what is the 80-20 rule. Like, what's the basic synopsis of what it means? Well, I know how it applies to our practice, but I want to hear your definition of it. Well, I'm going to give a very ge generic definition. I'm going to okay. say that 20% of your effort generates 80% of the result. 20% of your effort. Okay. Okay. Or uh, that more, more accurately, the most important 20% is responsible for 80% of the success. That sounds a little bit better. That's kind of more the way I was thinking about okay. it. Okay. So this can be applied in lots of areas of life. Okay. Okay. So it has to do with your, your highest use of time and where it goes. Now, I have, uh, you got to remind me on this one. I've got a trick. And I'll, in fact, let, let's do this. What I'm going to do is I want to talk. I'm going to give our students out there. Oh, so if you're a student or if you're a parent with students, I'm going to talk about how you can get straight A's using the 80-20 rule. But we'll do our first break, and then when we come back, that's what we'll do. All right? Cue. Nailed Almost. it. <laughs> Nailed it. All right. Stick around, folks. We will be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that is funny. I know. See, That's you have more eyeballs than you know. <laughs> I know. I like, well, you know, maybe I should be asking him, well, can you, you know, help me stay on track here? So, all right. So, <laughs> we're talking about the time 80, management 20, or 2080. Sorry. Which one is it? 2080. 8020 20? rule. It's the 8020 rule. 8020 rule. Okay. And this one. Uh, so today, the 80-20 rule and how you're going to apply this to your investment life. And then we'll probably talk about a bunch of other stuff because that's what we do. And then we'll open up the, you know, we should try to open up the phone lines. It'd be hilarious. So Somebody call just to mess with us uh, because the poor, uh, we don't even know how to work the board to do it. I know it's 4464. What is it? 673? 6734. Yeah. Ah, see, I still remember it. 541-673-4464. That's right. And, and then what I have to do is not give out my personal cell phone on air. <laughs> 
right? Because all of a sudden I'll get a thousand car warranty calls. Uh, oh, that's horrible. Yeah, uh, the spam you know, calls have been in high volume lately, let me tell you. Yeah, it, apparently this app is out there, but I suggested that there should be an app for how you manage those calls. So if you get one of those calls, you just click a thing that just starts to say, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. And it just does that in a circular loop until they give up and hang up. So I spoke to a woman the other day that said that every time she gets a prank call, she answers and she goes, Douglas County, Douglas County Sheriff's Office. And they immediately hang up and remove her from the list. Yeah. So I just hang up. I just pick up the phone and just let it go. I didn't even say anything. I just, you know, let them hear the radio or whatever's going on. I just waste their time. I'm like, well, if you want to waste my time, fine. I'll just waste your time right back. I'm always worried that there's another call coming in that I'm not going to get. Well, I can see another call, though. I mean, it'll tell me. I'll bump them if I get another call. True. So 80-20 I just, principle. I know. So 80% of the time, nobody else calls. <laughs> right? That's the, There's your principle right But the right 20% there. of the people that you want to call can't right, get through because 80% no, no, of the people. Just, People are on the other line. In fact, even better, I'll hit swap, and then they get nothing. They just this <laughs> quiet air, like "Hello, hello, hello, sir." You you have an IRS problem, sir. I'm, I'm like, in the oh, void. <laughs> I'm in the void. My social security number has been running around. It's so naughty. It's always getting in trouble with the IRS. I'm like, golly, <laughs> that darn social security number. It's just give it a smack, would you? Just outrageous. <laughs> what were we thinking? Uh, so, it, all right, 80-20 principle. We digress. And the definition of this is that 20% of the effort is that responsible doesn't... for 80% of the result. Is that it? Yeah. 20% of the effort. So in business, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a business concept for folks, right? 20% of most customers, like a business, 20% of their customers produce 80% of their revenue. Okay, that makes sense. But okay. that's not an effort thing necessarily. Well, but it, it tends to be that the it's the most focused 20% that generates the largest amount of results. So if there's the... Because let me tell you, if I do as, my diet mm -hmm. 20% of the way, I don't lose 80% of the pounds. No, no, you <laughs> will not. Um, and if you do 80% of your diet, you won't lose 20% either. That actually might be true. <laughs> yeah. It's you know there there are certain things that it's not going to necessarily be that applicable, but then there are some things that are. And so I told you at the break right. I was going to give the student the uh, the trick here. So how okay. do you get straight A's? How do you get straight A's? This is the B plus second draft rule. Oh, I like it. You've okay. told me this one. I like this one. Right. So do eighty percent effort. Okay. Don't do the last twenty percent. Just get it to a B. On your first draft. All right. Then put it away for a little while, as long as you can have time to, to put right? it away. You yeah. can't do this very well in a test environment. You, know, you kind of have to just nail it. But if you are drafting something, this is particularly good for writing. Right. Okay. So think English. So write something, put it away, come back when you've had some time away from it so that you see your own mistakes, mistakes right? If yeah. you do it too soon, you'll, you know, look right past typos and things because you're just on auto you know, pilot at that point. Okay. But, uh, so you come back and then you do 80% effort at improving it. Now, if you first did 80% of the way there, and then you took and improved the final 20% by 80%, then you had 80% of the 20%, which, which is? is 16 out of the 20, right? That's 80, you know, 80% of 20 is 16. So adding so 16 80 to 80. plus 16 is 96. Which is an A. You got the A. All right. Moving on. Right. You and, and because the last four percent will take probably 100 percent more effort. 
Yeah, and you may not get the last four percent. Right? So, and you may not. So there, there's this is the idea of there's diminishing marginal return where you can focus more and more and more myopically, and you won't get there. Now, ironically, in business, uh, the difference, uh, the, the funny thing is the difference in work, and this is the same thing oftentimes in athletics and so forth. It's the tiniest of difference is what separates the winner and the loser. Golf is a good Golf. example of that. Right, right. The winner it's, could win by one stroke. And it could be a difference of millions of dollars in a tournament for right. professional golfers. One stroke. So so it's this tiny fraction, and that's the amount that makes the difference. And so when you're talking about super, super high performance, okay, when you're fighting for the very last shred, then the it extra matters. 1% is, makes all the difference. But there are things that are diminishing marginal return, and that's what the 80-20 rule is about, is that sometimes you can put a ton of effort into non-profitable endeavors. Okay? And yes. profitable does not necessarily mean financial. I'm using in general. So uh, the 80-20 rule, but you know, again, 20% like 20% of the business's customers generate 80% of the revenue. It's the best, the best percentage of your clientele. Yeah, they're your cream. Yeah. So what does this mean for your investment process? Ooh, good question. Okay. So this is a really interesting one statistically uh, that a lot of people get it in their head that they need to pick the perfect investment. How do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, that's the question, right? Like, oh, I need to get it. I need to get it at the best price. Right. At the best time all um, the time. Okay, well, how do you know when is the best time? And how do you know yeah. what the best price is? And well, I and, mean, historically, you can look back and go, oh, it was that moment. But right. and also, moving forward, you, you can't have do that. to think about so many things have to come together to make an investment work. And then you have to determine what is my, what am I shooting for as an investor? Okay, there are different investment objectives. True. Okay. And I'm not just talking about, well, is it a growth or an income objective? No. That's, that's trivia. I'm talking about where are you in life and what are you attempting to accomplish? You know, if you are in your, you know, if early you're in your 20s, let's say you're in your early 20s or early 30s or younger. Okay. And you've got a 30 plus year horizon before you're looking at retirement and you're dealing with retirement dollars. Uh, I'm not going to suggest you need to speculate, but there may be an occasion where you should take some companies that you have real strong conviction in that you think have a lot of upside and say, well, then I'm going to put some money there. Uh, the interesting thing about massive wealth creation, okay? Like, what are you considering massive? Let's hold on. Let's I'm get some defining about terms here. Massive. Like, how about becoming a billionaire? Okay, that's massive. Okay. All right. I'll take that you know, as you know how we make billionaires, and this is a fascinating statistic. You know that most billionaires are first generation. No. Yeah, most billionaires don't inherit their wealth. There are some that do. They're but, self-made. But the, the, like out of the top ten billionaires, most of them are first generation. You know, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. I mean, these people. And Mark all, started early. They I mean, all he got it kind of young. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even Jeff Bezos, like fifty-one or something, still pretty. No, it is. It's totally pretty young for a billionaire. Well, and Bill Gates has been a billionaire for twenty years. Now. But that's but that's my point. Like some of them have started really young too. It's not even like oh, oh I you had a billion dollars the, by the time the I died. The dot com billionaire thing is real. Like it, right. it's, it's really happened. It's still like a lottery ticket, and not that many people do it. But here's the thing: how did they get like how did they become a billionaire? Uh, no Super idea. Super concentrated wealth. 
right? They didn't own a broadly diversified portfolio. No, they owned a lot of they tech stock like, right in the beginning. You know, like when Bill it got Gates launched. owned Microsoft, you know, and Microsoft became one of the most valuable companies ever. Okay. Uh, and you think about your Steve Jobs, Apple, okay, owns, you know, what, 15% of Apple, which is now like a trillion dollar company. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. You, you look at the folks that founded Google, like Sergey Brin, and you go, okay, a multi billionaire, right? Right. Well, it's a ginormous animal now. All first generation billionaires. Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, and he doesn't even own all of Facebook either, I think. No, no, I mean, that's they paid people in shares, and they so they kept adding shareholders. So, yeah, I mean, that was sort of the, the story about it is that they created tremendous wealth through tremendous asset concentration. It's the opposite of risk management in most financial firms. True, because we okay. usually talk about spreading it out a little bit so that you have because you know. the objective is different, right? There's a difference between I my objective is to become rich or my objective is to keep from becoming poor. That's a good way to put it: to keep from becoming poor, right? right? To, because so that I, you don't have to be unretired. Yeah, I mean, we tell a lot of our investors that we're not here to generate radical returns and and super high wealth. That's actually not the value proposition of our firm. We're here to help you make really good financial decisions and avoid becoming poor. Well, and if you look at, okay, so you meant you rattled off a few dot-comers, but if you look at everybody else that's ever tried to launch an app, start a thing, I mean, there's probably way more failures tons more than failures. there are winners. Heck, most entrepreneurs have a series of failures too. It's true. I mean, I can most, tell you, personally have businesses that have failed that I've been involved in, right? Me too. Yeah. You know, pretty good crash and burns, like expensive crash and burns. We we won't even talk about them. They I feel <laughs> like it feel like it's too expensive to talk about on the radio. Uh, like, but it's but it's there's a there's a term that you have that I like and it's it's failing forward, right? Well, that's not like, my term. That's a John Maxwell term, but well, it's totally but accurate. I'll it, I'll steal it. Yeah. You use it a lot. You talk about failing forward, right? It's not it's not bad to fail as long as you fail forward, meaning learning from your problems, figuring out how to not do it again next time. Right. And so there's a lot of things that you do differently in business now that you might not have done that way had you not had some of those. Well, absolutely. I mean, certainly it was an education and a very so, expensive one. Very expensive. Uh, you know, I, I could have probably gone to college many times over. <laughs> oh, there True. you go. Uh, at any rate, the the idea here, though, is for those of us that, you know, recognizing Super, you, you know, billionaires concentrate their wealth typically a lot. Even Warren Buffett has a lot of concentrated wealth. It's true. He's not a, he doesn't index. He's not going to buy the S&P 500 and get out of the way. No. In fact, he's the one that's got the famous quote. He says, you know, the S&P 500 is protection against ignorance. <laughs> I never didn't know he said yeah, that. I mean, and that's what it's all about. He said, look, if you don't know how to pick good, good investments, then don't. You know, yeah, just buy an index fund and get out of the way. But he says, if you believe in an idea, then take a material position in it. Oh, there you go. Okay, so there's there's a different philosophy, right? But he would say that, you know what? Uh, it's it, he's had some losers in there. But his trick is win more than you lose, right? If you win eighty percent of the time, you're going to be okay, right? So there's you know a different angle for your eighty twenty. There you go. But here's where uh, I don't know where the statistic has shifted to recently. But I remember early in my career, there was a study that talked about where investment returns come from. Okay. More than 80% of your return 
does not come from 20 percent of your stock the, well the specific investment selection we'll get we'll get back to that we'll get back to the 80 20 concept in a second here okay but about 91 to 93 percent of your investment return can be attributed to the asset allocation what does that mean well, I'm not going to make it as generic as stocks versus bonds. That's what some people would say. But I will say it has to do with what sector of the market are we talking about. So as an example, one of the best performing segments of the market this year is? has been semiconductors. Really? Yeah. Right? Technology has had a banner year. Keep in mind that in the fourth quarter of 2018, it collapsed. It got annihilated. Yeah, it was pretty. I mean, it just down. just tanked. So when it tanked, that uh, it, that sort of gave it a springboard at the start of the year. So just just recovering what it lost. Makes Which everybody's the, like, oh, it's doing so good. Yeah, and you're like, makes, no, it's back to where it was. Right. Like, it's, it makes it's, the <laughs> calendar year look really good because yeah. you know we sandbagged at the beginning of the year. Yeah. So, okay, so, so semiconductors. Semiconductors have been fantastic. So is this kind of in the move for electric cars? Like, do you think this is the boost behind it? Or that's kind of an interesting semiconductors. Well, they're electronic components. It's just, it's part of the underpinnings of tech. True. And they're in everything. And right? we do you know, more and more your, technology. And Apple watches. Yeah. Uh, now, in, as a side note, this is not a recommendation that you run off and go buy semiconductor stocks or a semiconductor fund or anything else. In fact, we're just talking you may about want to be careful because semiconductors are prime candidates to get scathed if we have a trade war escalation. Right, because it's where they are made. Most of them are manufactured in China, so that's an issue, right? But where do you think the majority of the return came from? Was it picking the right semiconductor stock or could you have just bought semiconductors in general and made money how many are in that pool i don't even know how many are in that section. probably dozens okay so it's not like 500 yeah. of and them. there have been there have been some outperformers okay but the whole category did really well so on average you know 91 percent of the return in your your holdings can be explained by the fact that they're all pooled together like all the semiconductors kind of went up they all enjoyed the ride because they are all highly correlated. Now, uh, can you buy um, a, like, I know you can buy an index fund. Can you buy a sector of the market? Of course you can. Okay. You can, Let me tell you, you can buy the market almost any way you can conjure it up. They will sell it to you. Okay. <laughs> and in Fair most enough. cases, they will package it up and try to sell it to you with a shiny bow on it so that they can make some money doing it. Ah, right? very uh, good. That's no different from any mutual fund or exchange traded fund is they are in it for the money. Let's, right. Let's make no so mistake. So they said, okay, we will buy this whole section and yeah. sell it to you as a section. Well, think about it. If you buy the S&P 500, that's an index. You can buy the NASDAQ 100. That's an index. You can buy the Dow 30 as an index. You can buy the dogs of the Dow, which is the the worst performing block of stocks from last year or whatever. And is that what it is? It's yeah, called the dogs like of the Dow. Like the, the worst ten or something, and then the, because see, I don't the do the trading, is, so I don't get into all the fun stuff that David and Justin get to. So <laughs> I've never heard of the dogs of the Dow. That's an interesting one. Right? Have but, you ever bought it just to see what would happen the following year? No, oh. I, I've I've never owned it. Uh, but, just curious. But I have conceptually sometimes I've looked at things that were I you know falling stars, great performers that then had a, a beat down and then they became bargains and then you said, well, I still believe in the business model and it's on sale now is a good opportunity to scoop it up. So I've done things like that before. Falling stars. Yeah. So anyway, that's the concept of 
the we know the return is not exclusively from picking the assets. In fact, we know that with the rare exception, while you can create lots and lots of wealth from being highly concentrated, you do take on a lot of risk to do it. But we know now that a lot of the return is from the allocation itself. Huh. So how else do we apply the Pareto principle to our investment strategy? I think you're going to tell me. I will, but we're going to take another break. So stick around. We'll be right back, and we're going to unpack some more. And who knows? You just might learn something. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show with the typical post break reminder that you can catch what you have missed on the podcast. I know, right? Like, have it, it's going to be posted to our website, it'll be posted everywhere. Yep. Can't so, miss it. Uh, iTunes. Just go look up True Wealth on iTunes and you'll find us floating around out there. Uh, you might have to drop Little John in there, but you know they'll they'll find it. So uh, anyway, we're talking today about the Pareto principle, right? And how this applies to investments. If you don't recall the Pareto principle and you're scratching your head, you may have heard it as the eighty twenty rule, right? Okay. And that the it's that twenty percent of your effort generates eighty percent of the result. Yep. Okay. And it's usually a reference to business. I mean, this is the the point is that oftentimes we get caught up in busy work. Twenty percent of what you do is the really focused stuff that's generating the majority of the, of revenue, the outcome, right? right? The the majority of the results, and the rest of it is sort of distraction and fluff. Now, you can't get away from all of it per se, but if you focus your areas, if you focus on the stuff that's more productive, then it improves your results, right? So focus on the twenty percent of the activity that's really moving the needle and less on the busy work. I think we're all, it's easier to say that I think than it is to do it. I think sometimes we're worried like oh what will people think if we don't do this little thing for something or you know mm -hmm. it's like we get like you said stuck in kind of the busy work and not focused on what we should be focused on. We've met some entrepreneurs that really super focus and we've seen some pretty amazing growth in their businesses too because of that hyper focus. Yeah, and the other is this th we're totally off the, the subject a little bit, but relevant, which is it's why teams are so valuable, right? Is that if you've got a team of people, focus on your 20% that you're really good at so that the other 80%, you've got team members that some of that is where they're really good and they pick up those pieces and now you're complementing each other and you're boosting everybody's output, right? Right. That's the advantage of having a good team chemistry and everybody sort of shoring up the other person's weaknesses. There you go. So that's kind of the trick. And so there are roles for everybody and you don't have to necessarily do everything. And it's not 
like you say weaknesses and I understand what you're saying like you know if you get a, a really well balanced team then hopefully everybody has kind of a strong input but I would say the best use of your time it's not even a weakness but the best use of your time definitely like there are things you can be very good at things but they may not be the things that move the needle right like I mean there are things that I do for you that I do because it's not the best use of your time true like if I can keep you being really productive that keeps the whole thing going. Can anybody keep me productive, honestly? I try really hard. I, I, like, <laughs> I put my best effort into I it say, most days. <laughs> I feel like I am a herd of cats sometimes. Uh, we did. Uh, so we just got back cats. from a, a retreat. Like, like our whole team took a retreat. We were off site. It was fantastic. And when we, we had everybody take, they're not personality profiles. It's more like uh, kind of like an M.O., Right. What's the what's the way you operate? Yeah. Sort what's of an what operational baseline? Yeah. So we all took these profiles about what makes you tick. And the, my profile comes out and it actually says things like you should juggle lots of tasks, because if you try to focus on just one, you're going to it's going to suck your will to live. Now, who gets that? Me. <laughs> um, I think I was probably pretty high on that one, too, but not probably not as high as you were. But I thought I was pretty high on that one, too. I don't know. That was the green line. one. Yeah, I was. You were like a nine. I think I out of 10. I think I was like a seven out of 10. So I was I was still yeah. higher. The difference is Katie loves lists. And it was like a you don't. In fact, you love systems and processes. Right. Right. And I my profile says you should design all the processes, but heaven forbid they make you follow them. You'll, you'll break it. <laughs> you'll break it. You just won't do it. <laughs> so uh, it's true. That actually is true. It said, please design the process. Just don't expect don't have anybody expect you to follow it. I know it's the word. I think so. So my base operation standard is almost a hypocrite. Is that what we're hearing here? No, I I like to call David a visionary, and I think he kind of chuckles at that one. But visionary well, sounds pompous. I'm like, Mah. but it's not like there's and I and and I say that because I'm recognizing a skill that I don't have. Right? Like, if you give me, if you give me, I'm making faces like I don't think that's true. No, it is. So so, but that's why I work great with visionary. So and, and you guys will laugh at this, right? And I've worked with a few of you in your life, mom. But um. So what you do as a visionary is you come in and, and you have this brainstorm and you're like, I want to do this, right? And you take a big, wide, like steamroller sized paintbrush and you just brush the sky with it and say, okay, I want to do this. Perfect. Right. And then you come to someone like me who says, oh crap, now I got to figure out how to make it all work. Okay. Now I got to create the steps to make the vision happen. And that's great. But if I have to come up with the vision, I struggle. It's the dreaming. It's the it's the like literally visionary, right? To get the visions, to daydream, to kind of wander, to have the like far out. And sometimes they're really far away, right? They're yeah. big visions. I, like it's, there are times like so like twelve years from now, dreams when of we're grander. doing this, and, yeah. And then Katie's like, "We'll be there in five. I'm like, yeah. Okay. So it's <laughs> yeah. Challenge accepted. Okay. She's a so, go getter. <laughs> But but it's but recognizing that because I like systems and I like to build things, so I love puzzles. That is something Ugh. that I yeah I love puzzles. I love doing them. I will sit at a table puzzle for hours and just dig at it until I can get so it done. I like problem solving, but not puzzles. Not that specifically because it's like tedious. It's like really you're going to try all these different pieces and see which one clips together and move on to the next one. I'm like ugh. But again, it's a challenge, right? How fast can I do it? Can I see things other people don't see? So I like the challenge of puzzles. Ugh. 
So yeah. <laughs> so what? So what David does is he comes in with a puzzle and says the picture should look like this, and then dumps the puzzle pieces upside down where you can't see anything, and then says go. And that's wow. that's you make it sound like I'm just horrible. By the way, <laughs> I am not complaining. That's what visionaries do, though, right? They paint the picture. But you really don't have an outline necessarily. So then you have to figure out how the puzzle goes together. But it actually is my sweet spot. It is something that I thoroughly enjoy. So I love working with visionaries because I know, based on my experience, that I can help get there. I can help the visionary get there, too. And then we both win. And it works out well. That's a true story. We both win. And that's I think that's the key on this one. So uh, talking about this Pareto principle concept, and now let's talk about investments and winning there. If if the sector allocation or the or the asset allocation is accountable for better than ninety percent of the return of the investments, then maybe it's not necessarily what you pick but that, what that moves pick? all of it. Okay, so sector matters. Okay, uh, it's also a bigger picture, right? How much are you exposed to risky stuff versus non-risky stuff? Okay. Is there any particular sector that's more risky? Well, sure there are. Right? Such as? Uh, biotech is more risky than utilities. Okay. Because like everybody needs a utility. But yeah. I mean, I mean utilities biotech. are stable things. I mean, they could get overbought and be a little bit hot. But for the most part, they are government regulated. There's no competition because they're all monopolies in their areas. And they yeah, never the, they, the prices never go backwards. Right oh, now, now you did see PG and E or whatever it is in in California, right? Their bankruptcy and other mess there. Um, isn't that the one? That, I don't know. The, there's the I think it's PG PGE that's uh, the the one that was you know, start started forest fires with uh, negligence and so. Oh. Anyway, that's you know probably it's not zero risk, but generally speaking, as a sector. Pretty low risk. Yeah, as a sector for all the electrical utilities. Biotech, right? right? I mean, there's a lot of failure in biotech. So talk about somebody who has to fail forward all the time, huh? Yeah, yeah. And talk about expensive, right? Yeah. So sure there are differences in sector, but there are also the differences between types of assets, like stocks versus bonds. They're different in the capital structure. True. Okay, right? Stocks, if the stock goes out of business, you're done. But if the company goes out of business and you're a bondholder, you, you still kind of get paid off. You're of in some line of the sales. in the capital structure, meaning when they liquidate assets and start paying people off, you're supposed to get paid back something, right? You're higher up the food chain in terms of where you. It's like it's called being in the capital structure. So your probability of being paid back is higher. So you're taking lower risk. Therefore, the return structure is different. Hmm, there you go. So there are different types of assets and. The, the point that I see is a lot of people, the, there are two things that we forget. First off, we make the mistake of thinking that the 9% of asset selection doesn't matter. Oh, it does. Oh. Right? It, I mean, if, if 90 plus percent of the return comes from the sector, so does that mean it doesn't matter which things you pick? No, it no, does. Because if you just bought a bunch of utilities and happened to buy PGE, and that's the one that became a problem. Yeah, it tanked it <laughs> well, for the whole sector. Then, well, it maybe didn't even tank the whole sector, but if you didn't own the entire sector, you just owned one, you took on concentration risk and you got burned for it. True. Right? But there, you know, there is some mathematical logic to how many positions you should own to be diversified, too. Because at some point, 
It just dilutes it, right? Well, this one's fascinating. Okay, so I, I'm going to give you some real data, but we got to take our last break. So let's do that. When we come back, you want to know how much do you need to own to be diversified? All right. Oh, 80-20 going on right there, too. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. Yeah, True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey, gang. Home stretch of the True Wealth Show, and welcome back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And we've been talking a bunch about Pareto Principle, which is the 80 20 rule, and how that matters to investors. So be sure to check out the podcast. It's on iTunes or on our webpage, littlejohnfs.com, and you can tunnel all through there, but it's under the, under the Educate tab, so you can find it. But, uh, you know, I, I made this commitment at the break. You did. To, to share with folks some interesting research. So how uh, much how do you How many positions need to be diversified? To own to be diversified. Okay. Now, it is a trick question. But I will tell you, here's the idea. Uh, I'm gonna give you, let me paint an example for you, Katie, and then we'll kind of explain how this works. Okay. We're going to flip a coin. Okay. Okay. So you're going to flip it one time. What is your probability of having heads? 50-50. Sure. 50-50. We're going to flip it two times. What's the probability that you get heads two times in a row? Oh, I... 25% in theory, right? Right. Because you have four options now. You could have heads, heads, tails, tails, or a heads, tail, or a tail, head. Okay. Okay. So getting both of them heads, heads is only 25%. So what if I add a third coin to the mix and now... It's a weird fraction. Right. It's less than 25%. Okay. And if I add a fourth or fifth or sixth, each time the probability of all of them being the same simultaneously drops and drops and drops. Which we've seen in a weird game of heads and tails. We have. We've seen <laughs> We've seen a weird game of heads and tails where like where seven, like seven heads, heads in a row. It was more than that, wasn't it? It was a lot. It was uncanny. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I digress. In the investment world, the idea is, well, what's the probability that you have a stock fail completely? Like the company just goes away, out of business. Oh, gone. what is the probability? Well, we don't know, but it could happen on any individual case. But what's the probability that all of them do that simultaneously? Oh, super unlikely. Super, super unlikely. So we measure risk. And risk is, remember, a measure of volatility. So volatility is the swings up and the swings down. You don't okay. care about upside volatility. That just means you made more money. You made right. profits. But yeah, you nobody care about cares the about the upside. Everybody yeah. cares about the downside. So if we've got 
how, the question is if if your stocks are like coins, okay, and they can either go up or go down on any given day. How many stocks should you own before your your risk isn't really changing to add a, one more stock? Twenty five. Yeah, and you're not far off statistically. Okay. Cool. So, and here's here's what happens. Katie is being statistically accurate when she says about 25. But the reality is every additional stock you add will add additional diversification benefit. It will slightly lower your aggregated, or means across all of the assets, your standard deviation. So it will lower your risk a little bit the more positions you add. So if you have a thousand positions, oh. you have lower risk than if you have Two. 25 positions. Okay. And you have much lower risk than if you have two positions. But risk isn't the whole picture. Well, hang on here, because I'm going somewhere different with it. You're going to go, oh, yeah, totally makes sense. Okay. So okay. here's the thing. Um, what's the difference between a dollar and 99 cents? A penny. A penny. What's the difference in your purchasing power? A penny. A no. penny. <laughs> but in terms of your ability to go out and actually buy something, it's fairly negligible the one penny rarely is the difference maker between whether you can or can't afford something. True. It could happen. Right. But I would say, what about the difference between $1,000 and $1,001? Not as right? big a difference. That $1 is probably not what ma makes or breaks the purchase. Right. It's a pretty small percentage. Right. The difference in standard deviation between 25 positions and 1,000 positions is like less than 2%. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So So what does that mean for our listeners who are going, what's a standard deviation? And well, it's I didn't just, understand what it what means you just is said. that you're not you don't get incrementally more value the more diversified you are. You get a lot of value early on as you add positions. But as you add more and more and more and more and more, you're not getting more and more value in diversification. You're just getting more positions. You're you're just collecting a lot more. And so what happens is you start to act like an index. And at some point you go, well, why would you own all those things when you could just buy it as a block and get it cheaper? True. And the other is you've lost your ability to now I'm going to I'm going to use a term that's sort of loaded here, but you've kind of lost the billionaire factor. Because now you're not if you've got, if you've got anymore. if you got a thousand positions and one of them is the next Facebook or Microsoft, big deal. There's 999 other positions that are not going with it, so they're not going to get the benefit of that move very much. Well, that's why I asked you earlier, are you diluting it? Like, are you, you diluting are. it down to where, yeah, I own a bunch of stuff, but I own such a tiny little fraction yeah. of a bunch of stuff, I can't get any traction. You just own the market. And right. so at some point, you have said, well, then all I can expect is the return. Now, 90% of the return comes from kind of where the, the, the sector and the allocation. So if the whole market works, this is the case indexers make, is they go, well, I, you know, I'm willing to forego the last 9 10% uh, in order to just, just keep, keep it, it easy and keep yeah. the cost down. And there's sense in that. True. But the most successful investors in the world are the ones that have played in that 9%. Interesting. So I can't tell you which one you need to be. I can just tell you if it were that easy, everybody would do it. But you know what? If you want to find out what kind of investor you are, give us a call. Exactly. So if you're thinking to yourself, all right, I need to know more. I need to know more about how I'm invested. Am I? Do I actually own an index or am I getting, am I too diversified? Funny question, but we can check it out for you. Uh, so as the rule goes, look, I don't care where you go, but if you don't have somebody, find them. And if you don't have that somebody, you are welcome to find us. They can reach us at 541-375-0898. 
All right. So there you go. And you know what that music means. We're out of time for today, but we will be back next week for more. Don't forget, you can send us emails at info at littlejohnfs. Do check out the website. And again, 541-375-0898. Until next time, Katie, thank you as always. Thank you much. All right. This has been David Littlejohn. I'm Katie Sheck. And this has been True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.